The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online. Plus, we'll give you a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics, power and prejudices. This year, 2024, is an election year in America, a presidential election year. And so we will be doing two podcasts a week rather than our usual one because we want to and because we know you can't get enough Americano in your life. This is a rather different episode of the Americano podcast, but I hope it's one that you will enjoy. We had a visit from DeRoy Murdoch, who is a Fox News contributor and a very lively bloke. And he came into the office and Fraser Nelson, who's an old friend of DeRoy's, immediately teed him up for a debate with Kate Andrews about Trump, because Kate Andrews does not support Donald Trump and DeRoy does. And I thought it made for quite a lively conversation and one you should listen to. I'm Fraser Nelson. I'm joined by two of my closest friends who I normally agree with on most things. Deroy Murdoch, who is a US-based commentator, and Kate Andrews, our economics editor. But where they differ is their support for the likely candidate of the next presidential election. Kate supported Joe Biden last time around, probably will this time around again, presuming he's the nominee. Um, DeRoy is uh, making the case for Donald Trump, and I would love to personally um, hear their respective arguments, so given that we've got them in the same room, I'll try now. DeRoy, Donald Trump is one of the most egregious characters ever to run for office of the White House. Now, you know, you're right-leaning, I'm right-leaning, Kate is right-leaning, but surely such a flawed representative of the conservative message does nothing but discredit to conservatism and to America. First of all, great to be with you here in London and to meet new friends as well. And uh, what I would say to that is so many people focus on Donald J. Trump's personality. And I think even his supporters would say, at a minimum, he does have quite an outsized personality and it's kind of an unusual character. When he's running for president, he's not running for Pope. He's not running for God. Uh, He's also not running to be the ghost of Ronald Reagan. Uh, He is, at the moment, the man who looks like will uh, win the GOP nomination. And uh, right now we're looking at somebody who will come into our country and turn things around, which are going deeply, deeply downhill at a rapid rate of pace. And what uh, those of us who support Trump want to see is a return to the policies that he implemented as president. Among them, the biggest tax cut we've ever seen in the United States of America, the most clamped down and closed U.S. border in my lifetime and probably in the last 40 or 50 years, a policy of peace through strength overseas, and uh, a very uh, vigorous uh, approach towards uh, advancing principles of uh, limited government and free markets. I would even say free trade. He had a number of free trade agreements that he signed as president. And look, we live in a world of trade-offs. Um, and the trade-off basically is with a man like Donald J. Trump uh, as president. About 90% of the time, 95% of the time, he did what we conservatives wanted to see, which is the good news. The bad news is uh, he's got a, a bit of a mouth that goes off from time to time. What's the term I'm looking for? Tourette syndrome. And every now and then he says something. We all look at each other like, wow, did that really come out of the mouth? the president of the United States. Um, And this is the trade-off we have, and it's a trade-off I'm willing to take. You know, I would love to have the ghost of Ronald Wilson Reagan go back into the Oval Office, but uh, uh, the laws of physics have not been repealed and medical science has not gotten to that level. So at the moment right now, it looks like we have a choice between Donald J. Trump and Joe Biden, and I cannot wait to see November come. It can't come quickly enough to see Donald J. Trump defeat Biden, send him back to Delaware, and have a restoration of the uh, uh, limited government uh, pro-market policies that uh, uh, we were lucky lucky enough to enjoy with him as president of the United States. 
Kate, you're a long-standing advocate of the kind of policies that Droy is talking about here, the, the tax cuts, the, you're a Mitt Romney supporter for that reason. Um, so surely you can, you can see the case here for closing your eyes, for just not listening to the Twitter feed and looking at the policies, policies which before the pandemic certainly encouraged a significant American economic expansion, reduced poverty amongst um, black Americans to an all-time low, several other economic achievements, which surely people like you have been advocating. So it's a bit odd now not to support the person most likely to bring you what you want. Thanks for hosting this, Fraser, and very nice to meet you, DeRoy. I Take that point. I think Donald Trump's policies are a mixed bag when he was in the Oval Office. And I've always taken Donald Trump policy by policy. I've criticized those who just want to say that everything he does, everything he touches turns to dirt. But I also think this idea that we can simply separate what he tweets, what he says, what he does from his policies is wrong as well. I'm going to correct you on one thing, Fraser. I'm I'm not here to defend Joe Biden. I certainly did vote for him in 2020 as the alternative to Donald Trump. I've not decided what I'm doing in November. I think my thoughts are best summed up at the moment on a recent episode of Spectator TV where our columnist Lionel Shriver and I just basically cried on air. I mean, just lamented the horrendous choice that Americans are likely to be faced with this November. And I'm, I'm, I'm really mulling over, you know, w- what I think about that decision. But look, when it, when it comes to Donald Trump, it's certainly the case that America's economy was booming under the president in the lead up to COVID. We did get those substantial tax cuts. But was it exactly what conservatives or certainly free marketeers want to see? Amidst those tax cuts, we had trade wars, quite serious ones, which overall make America poor. We had a public debt that ballooned under Donald Trump. Some of that is the pandemic, but it was surging up um, by the hundreds of billions long before the pandemic hit. And if we look at Donald Trump 2.0, let's call him, and we look at his talk around tax and trade, we're getting very little on tax so far, but we're getting a lot on trade, including the idea that he would slap a 10% tax on all imports. I mean, this is just crazy talk. Not that we should be surprised when it comes to Donald Trump. And I guess this is this is ultimately my, my point with Donald Trump is a lot of people say, well, just don't listen to him. Don't take him at his word. And my fear about that is what else do we judge him on? His previous record, as I said, a mixed bag. We're getting a more vindictive, angrier Donald Trump this time around, which makes me very nervous. And we know that he's willing to act on that sometimes. I mean, one of the reasons I could never support Donald Trump from the start is because calling immigrants rapists, calling them animals, talking about them as poison. It's just not a language that I resonate with as a former Republican voter who who also misses the Ronald Reagan days. I think it's so interesting that DeRoy and I are, are both sitting here and uh, missing the days of Ronald Reagan and, and, and wishing we could have somebody basically bring his essence to the Oval Office. And yet, in terms of that second choice, are going in very different directions. But I think it speaks to just how confused the Republican Party has become and how Trumpism has come to define the Republican Party. But let's not pretend in any way that that really refre- re- reflects the merits of free market economics and that small L liberal sentiment to live and let live, to, to be kind and friendly to your neighbor but to ultimately let them do what they want to do. You know, that that is not Trumpism. That is not his philosophy. And we should not mistake it with Reaganism in any way. 
he's he's basically a protectionist. He is an isolationist. Uh, look at Ronald Reagan. You, but it's hardly a bigger contrast. Reagan was a great Atlanticist. Reagan was a big backer of NATO. Only a few weeks ago, we had Trump saying that he would literally encourage Putin to invade a NATO member who wasn't paying his dues. So I'm imagining when you hear these kind of things, you'll be thinking these words of consequences, right? I mean, if you the president of the, of the United States is going to say that he would walk away from the NATO alliance, he's emboldening, encouraging Russia. This is... Uh, that this would disgust Reagan. It would disgust anybody who looks back with favourable on Reagan's agenda. So there must be aspects, not of his personality, but of his policies, that stick in your craw as well. Yeah, well, in terms of what sticks in my craw, I wish that uh, his uh, spending curve were flatter or not, not climbing at the rate that it did. I think, as, as uh, Kate said, uh, definitely a big part of it was all the spending related to COVID and all the relief, public relief that was uh, doled out, uh, the medical assistance, et cetera. I mean, that was obviously not, it sort of, shall we say, dropped into his lap as it dropped in the lap of the, of the entire world. Nobody saw that coming. But uh, certainly uh, he could have spent less money. I think part of what he did, part of the reason that the spending grew the way that it did in the U.S. is that uh, he and the Democrats, Democrats had sort of a deal. He wanted to see an increase in defense spending. And he basically said to Democrats, all right, look, uh, I won't fight you on the social spending. Give me the defense budget I want, and I'll go along with a lot of the social spending. That was sort of the pact, if you, uh, the peace pact, if you want to say, that he had with uh, a lot of the Democrats. And it unfortunately led to a lot of domestic spending, which I would have opposed. The good news is we got a, a defense buildup that we needed. So unfortunately, that was the kind of the, the two-part solution, if you will, there, or, or the mixed bag, if you want to put it that way. Um, in terms of trade, he did have a, a free trade agreement with uh, Mexico and Canada, replacing NAFTA. A free trade agreement with South Korea, I believe. Uh, there was a, a, a trade agreement signed with China, which I think was signed, if I remember correctly, about February of 2020. And about a month later, we had the explosion of COVID, and that all got completely swept up and, and uh, paved over by COVID, unfortunately. But I think a big part of the protectionism you mentioned uh, is tariffs against China. And uh, I'm a free trader. I'm not a big fan of tariffs. But uh, even I've heard a lot of free traders like Steve Moore in the U.S., Larry Kudlow, who's a big free trader, say that those tariffs were needed basically to smack the Chinese Communist Party across their foreheads with a two-by-four and get them to focus. And we put big tariffs on them and say, okay, we need you to stop the intellectual property theft. We need you to stop the cheating on agreements you've had before, that this definitely got their attention and got got them to to do the right thing to an extent. As far as uh, being an Atlanticist and NATO, people like to attack Trump uh, for uh, for his statements. I'm not a fan of the comment about inviting uh, the Russians to invade any country that doesn't uh, buy by its budget obligations. But when he was president, he said to the NATO countries, look, you, you guys agreed to put up at least 2% of your GDP for defense. And some countries have done it. Even some of the small uh, new countries entering NATO have done so. While at the same time, I believe Germany and some of the other large co- uh, countries with big, big economies have refused to do that and have engaged in a sort of certain level of, shall we say, free riderism. And I think through a lot of very tough talk, he got them to cough up about $400 billion, I believe, uh, between now and I think 2025, 26, something like this. And uh, that strengthened, that didn't weaken, that strengthened the NATO alliance. So you have $400 billion of defense money pumped into a transatlantic uh, defense treaty. That makes it stronger, not weaker. And so, you know, again, this is a great example of where a lot of the loudmouth, open, you know, bravado kind of talk is kind of obnoxious to hear, but it certainly got the uh, many of the NATO countries to do what they had to do, is to, to, to live up to their budget commitments that they made, put on paper, and then in many cases, unfortunately, didn't follow through on 
So, okay, Deroy is basically saying that while you might find um, Trump's language distasteful, it is effective. And the example he gives is that he did manage to persuade NATO members to cough up because only when they're genuinely worried about the American protection will they live up, live up to their obligations. And also, uh, let's look at deterrence under Biden. It hasn't been great. Trump was seen to be wildly unpredictable. You would no idea whether he's going to drop the mother of all bombs as he did in Afghanistan or, or take out a senior army general he did with Iran. There's very difficult to predict. Um, as a result, we had a pretty quiet world under a Trump premiership. Under a Biden world, he seems to be um, somebody who inspires no fear at all in America's adversaries, whether it's the Russian invasion of Ukraine or whether it's the Houthi activities in the Red Sea. So might it be the case that a less palatable president who speaks in ways that you would certainly not want to defend actually has policies that will work better, not just for America, but for the world? Yeah, I take many of DeRoy's points there. And if I had to point to what I think Donald Trump was most successful at when he was in the Oval Office, it would have been the First Step Act, trying to make some meaningful criminal justice reform, which is long overdue in the U.S. Donald Trump made that a big talking point. He took Republican initiative on that. He actually brought the Democrats with him. Long overdue, totally necessary, especially if you really do believe in that American freedom, which is so often undermined by the criminal justice system. And I think on foreign policy, again, I'm not going to condone everything, but one of my favorite moments of foreign policy was that very strange video that surfaced of Donald Trump with the North Korean dictator across the table asking the media to make sure that they get slim shots of each other to make sure everyone's looking good. And I thought, you know what, this is really weird, but this is a foreign policy I can like weirdly get behind because we're not setting off bombs, right? We're not setting off explosions. We're actually trying to calm things down. Um, Mutual short dieting, if you will. It was a, it was a funny moment and, and one that I could get behind. I'm going to come back to your point about effective language. Really quickly, though, on the economy, you can make the case that the American economy is pretty fantastic right now, right? It's booming. Now, Americans, interestingly, in the polls will tell you something different. They'll say they're not confident about the economy. And I think a lot of that is because Biden's spending and stimulus packages have created a sugar high and they don't feel that it's secure. They might feel well off right now, but a lot of Americans report we're not really sure what's going to happen in five, 10 years. We don't feel that financial security. But both Donald Trump and Joe Biden are guilty of creating on paper really good growth rates, but creating their own forms of sugar highs that don't tackle America's underlying debt problems and deficit problems. Donald Trump's not willing to talk about this because it's an election loser. The hard policy choices you have to make don't win you elections. It's, it's the job of the Republican Party, which is supposed to be the fiscally responsible one to talk about this stuff. And I think the fact that he's throwing that out the window, I'm, I'm, I'm more upset by that when a Republican does it because I expect better from them. So you can say I'm holding Donald Trump to a higher standard than I would Joe Biden, but I expect to see that from the Republican Party. To your point about language, it's so important. He is a very effective communicator. Uh, he's been effective on the world stage, as DeRoy points out, getting other nations to invest more in their defense budget. That's a positive. He was very effective on January 6th, getting his supporters to go to the Capitol. And that effective language has some positives, but my gosh, does it have some negatives. I'm not willing to ignore the negatives. I will accept the, I have always accepted, I have written about, I have spoken about when Donald Trump has got it right. There are too many occasions in which he's got it wrong. And they're not just, it's not just the number. It's not just weighing numbers against each other. It's on what occasions he's got it wrong. When we're talking about the fundamental institutions of American democracy, when we're talking about the peaceful transfer of power, when we're talking about breaking all precedent by not handing off 
to the man so far, maybe one day woman, who comes in after you. When we talk about not showing America how you hand over power, that is not somebody I want in the Oval Office ever again. Again, puts me in a tough position because that's not quite the same thing as saying I want Joe Biden to be president for another four years. If you ask Americans, if you poll Americans, most don't think he's fit to be president for another four years. That's not unkind. He's just really getting up there and he's clearly struggling with the job. We are in a terrible position, but it's simply not one in which I can say, well, lesser of two evils, I guess we'll go for Donald Trump. I, I think Donald Trump has shown himself to be unfit for the office in lots of other ways. And right, you made clear you're not defending his character, but do you? are you basically saying that you would vote for the devil himself as long as he cut taxes? <laughs> I guess it depends how deep the tax cut is. I think for a 10% flat tax, yeah, I'd probably vote for the devil, I'd say so. Uh, but look, uh, again, uh, I think even Trump's biggest supporters will say that uh, there are certain ways of uh, manner and conduct and so on are not exactly necessarily what someone might say, I want my kids to grow up and be just like that. So you, you find the criminal allegations often politically motivated and unconvincing. Uh, yeah, part of the reason that P says you know, he wants vengeance and he wants to be vengeful, etc., is that the way he's been treated is unprecedented. There's never been another case case going back to his a second impeachment of somebody being impeached after he's left office. We've got all these politically motivated cases in state court, federal court, local court in, in Manhattan with the Manhattan DA's office. And there's this whole get Trump attitude. Now, if you want to get Trump by uh, campaigning against him, by uh, protesting against his speeches, by, by registering voters, magnificent. That's wonderful. Go do that. Unfortunately, in this country, not this country, in the UK right now, but in my country, the United States of America, right now, we've got our judicial system being arrayed against a Republican uh, candidate, probably Republican nominee for political purposes. And we've got the instruments of the state being used uh, for partisan purposes in a way that you expect to see maybe in Venezuela, maybe uh, somewhere in, in a, a dictatorship. Completely inappropriate, totally unprecedented. And uh, this is part of the reason a lot of people are saying we need Trump to come in and take, for example, the 80 FBI agents who are running around Silicon Valley, I think even today, uh, going to Facebook and Google and YouTube saying, why, why don't you deplatform that guy? And we're not crazy about Prager, you don't run those videos. This is pure censorship. There's no room for this in America. And the kind of people who are doing it, if Trump gets in, need to be fired. If, they're, if they've broken the law, they need to be prosecuted. If they're lawyers, they need to be disbarred and their law license, licenses ought to be shredded on national television. And some people call that vengeance. I call that justice. Kate, you say that Donald Trump isn't fit for office, but really how fit for office is Joe Biden. We've got to a stage now where he's routinely losing his train of thoughts. Him, You get me sort of a brain fade moments, which are, you know, this is embarrassing and worrying for anybody who seeks American leadership. I think we have what, what looks to be Donald Trump and Joe Biden, two completely unfit candidates. When I wrote for The Spectator back in 2020 why I was voting for Joe Biden, one of the major reasons was that he was at the time suggesting he was going to be a transition candidate. And I thought, great, let's move on. Let's get out of this. He then did very well in the midterms, I think primarily because Donald Trump ran his candidates and Frankly, the country rejected them, apart from Ohio. And it seems that Joe Biden's taken that as a sign that actually he's going to be the most popular guy ever, forever, regardless of his ability to do the job properly. And he isn't moving on. It's incredibly disappointing. I am at a loss for words at the moment about what we're going to do about this. 
you know, it is not so easy as just to say, spoil your ballot or vote for third party in a country where there only two men are realistically going to be president. I mean, I, I can vote I can vote third party if I want because I'm from a very heavily blue, very heavily Democrat state. It's not a swing state. But if you're in Florida, if you're in Michigan, if you're in Pennsylvania, what do you do? It's it's a really it's a really tricky question. Are you saying you wouldn't vote for Trump under any circumstances? You're in the dilemma now as whether to vote for Biden or for a, a third party. What I'm saying is I cannot see any reason so far why I would vote for Donald Trump. I, I can't tell you what's going to happen in six months' time. But, but you it, wouldn't say the same for Biden? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say the same for Biden. I'm, 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 I'm reflecting on that one. And Roy, when you vote for Donald Trump, will you be doing it with a heavy heart, a, a light heart, a happy heart? I'll be doing the big smile on my face. Uh, really? I, yeah, I miss the policy agenda very much. I miss having somebody who believes in and acts upon peace through strength. I miss having a tough American leader versus who we have now who's just incredibly weak physically, mentally, and in terms of his policy. I miss having a, a border. We don't have a border in the United States. We have an imaginary line in the sand which through which 8.8 .8 million people have crossed. Under Trump, we had a grand total of 11, grand total of 11 people on the terrorist watch list over four years across the uh, U.S.-Mexico border. Under three years of Joe Biden, we've had 308 people on the terrorist white watch list across the border who we've caught. How many we've not caught? We don't know that number. And let's hope they've come to love America and join the American dream and not detonate us. I live in New York City. And we, we have all of us have big targets on our backs. So I will be very, very proud and, and happy to vote for Donald Trump. You're a long Trump. way from the border, Madness, though, aren't you in New York City? Physically from the border. But uh, let me tell you something. I don't have to go very far to walk from, I could walk from my, my apartment uh, just below Union Square in the East Village to the Roosevelt Hotel, which is Madison Avenue and 40, uh, East 48th Street. And that's the Roosevelt Hotel, which is now turned into an illegal alien center. And the place is chock full of illegal aliens who get dropped off. Uh, they get rooms there. I think they're paying $500. I, forgive me. The charge is $500 a night. They're not paying. I, as a New York City taxpayer, am paying for that. Uh, we also have this brand new program, thanks to our delightful mayor, Mayor Adams, Eric Adams, our Democrat mayor. Uh, he's just started a brand new program a couple weeks ago to give uh, $53 million in renewable uh, debt cards, debit cards, forgive me, debit cards to illegal alien families. Uh, they'll be able to use this to buy baby supplies and food, $1,000 a month per month for this. And uh, they can go out and buy food, baby supplies, etc. These are people who broke into our country. At the same time, this new $53 million program has launched. He's cut $60 million from the New York City Education Department's food budget. So you have little boys and little girls who are American citizens who've been used to going to lunch and having things like chicken thighs and uh, uh, grab-and-go salads and cookies, and now they're living on uh, pizza and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So they're actually eating inferior food to the tune of $60 million and cut from that budget so we can provide, provide $53 million in free food and baby supplies to illegal aliens. But this is the kind you, of policy you, 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 we have under Joe Biden, and I want to see an end of that immediately. You're you sounding a bit cold-hearted here. It wasn't so long ago since your parents came from Costa Rica to America seeking the American dream. You must have some sympathy for those who want the same thing. I have sympathy for anybody who comes to America to pursue the American dream who does one thing, which is show up with a passport and a visa in it. And if you come to America legally, I will cheer for you, I will root for you, I will do whatever I can to help you succeed and enjoy the American dream. If you break into my country, you come across without permission, you, you enter without uh, uh, being welcome to come in and then start uh, leeching public resources like a parasite off of the American public and the New York City taxpayer, I have no sympathy for, sympathy for you. And the one thing I will support is a one-way bus or plane trip ticket to fly back from whence you came. I support illegal immigration. I'm a thousand percent against illegal immigration. Surely you wouldn't call a refugee a parasite. I would, yes. These people have broken into my country, our country. 
I support people who come in legally. If you come in legally and we, you ask for permission, you ring the front doorbell and say, may I please come in? Would you please the help me? The refugee fleeing persecution as defined by the UN Refugee Convention? You, you got to come in with permission. You don't, you don't just run in. You have to come in with permission. If you have permission, wonderful. We will be supportive. And I, I will be gladly support you getting U.S. taxpayer dollars to assist you if you come in legally with permission. But if you don't ring the doorbell and say, I'm in trouble, I'm in distress, would you please help me? Fine, we'll help. You break in through the back window, you crawl in, and you start pulling food out of the out of the out of the kitchen, out of the refrigerator, and help yourself. I have a huge problem with that. People don't support that in their own private homes. I don't think anybody would say, yeah, anybody breaks into my house and sits down three in the morning while I'm asleep and I come downstairs and the person's, you know, helping himself to you know a, a, a bacon and eggs and pancakes. Oh, help yourself. That's cool. No. The person rings the doorbell and says, look, I'm hungry. I've not eaten in days. Would you please help? Oh, please come in, have a seat. Let me see if I can help you. You ring the front doorbell and we can be helpful. You break in through the back room, back window. I have no sympathy for you. I'm calling 911 and saying, get this invader out of my house now. Kate, listening to DeRoy, do you think that um, you may disagree with him there, but he reflects a good chunk of American opinion and probably a chunk of opinion that's likely to prevail over not exactly persuasive arguments being made by Biden right now? I guess this brings us back to the start of the conversation when I mentioned some of those words that Donald Trump calls immigrants. And in this case, we're not even talking about those who might be economic migrants. We're talking about refugees who might be fleeing persecution, who, frankly, historically in America, end up making up uh, once they do arrive here and they are brought in and they are welcomed to a country of freedom and given opportunity to work. Very, very often, not just work, um, they, they become people who love those values too. I guess we're seeing, as I was saying, the extent to which he has a grip on the party. I think DeRoy's comments there really do sum up how Trumpism has completely taken over the Republican Party. This is a reason I will not vote for it. Not only do I completely disagree with that assessment. I, and again, the, the Ronald Reagans of the world thought that those wanting to come to America were some of the most optimistic and and, and best people on the planet because they, they recognized American values. He was talking I, about legal immigration, though, wasn't he? He was, he was talking about, in a lot of those speeches, quite broadly, anybody who would come to America. And he said, if the doors have to close, let there be windows. It was very clear he wanted those pathways but do you think Reagan? Seriously, do you think Reagan would make that speech right now, given the border situation as it is? I mean, times have moved on. And the, the migration situation is different. The illegal immigration situation is a big problem in here in Britain. With the, we've got the debate over Rwanda. It's a massive problem in America. With big, so I wonder if the Reagan ideal simply was of its time and not even Reagan himself would apply none it to the situation us, we see now. None of us can know what Ronald Reagan or Margaret Thatcher or anybody would say today. What we can do is look at their policies and probably assess that not only would there be more legal pathways into the UK, there would certainly be an understanding that you want to know who's coming into your country. I think that is pretty universal and completely fair. But I think there'd be more legal pathways. And I don't think we would hear language like animals, poison, parasites. I actually feel very confident about that one. If I may, I want to go back to a point that Jeroy was making about the criminal pursuit of Donald Trump. Really important point. Now, and I, I, I think this to me also sums up Trump derangement syndrome on both sides. There are just people who will do anything to get this man off the ballot. There are people who will reject democracy. Um, there, are people, there are people who will use the legal system to go after their political opponents to get this man. And then on the other side, there are people who will say he can't possibly be guilty of anything ever. It is not possible for Donald Trump to be any kind of criminal. He is nothing but perfection. There are very few people in the middle these days. And I think that was Donald Trump's goal. He works with with um, division. He he works well with fueling that frustration, that resentment. It served him well in 2016. It's serving him well now. 
I, I, I think he probably designed it that way where we don't have a lot of cool heads in the middle. What I will say is in this upcoming election, one thing matters more to me than possibly anything else. And that is that we stop pursuing our political opponents and trying to throw them in prison. I would like the Republicans to stop going after Joe Biden. I would like the Democrats to stop going after Donald Trump. I would be so bold as to say, even if there is guilt that can be identified, we are setting such a horrible example for young Americans in particular for the future of our systems if we keep trying to put our political opponents in prison. I care more about ending that process, about stopping that vindictiveness, and about stopping what I think could end up being be a really scary path America goes down than I do about the actual election result. Kate and Roy, thank you very much for joining me.